This is Will Pickering, the CEO of Pittsburgh Water and Sewer Authority, and you're listening to the Water Values Podcast. The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations by Interra, Innovation and Stewardship for a Sustainable Tomorrow, by Xylem, Let's Solve Water, by the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource, by Black & Veatch, Building a World of Difference, by Trinix, Trust in What's Next, by Mentor APM, Intelligent Asset Management Software Built for Water, and by Woodard & Curran, High-Quality Consulting Engineering, Science, and Operations Services. This is session 243. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGinsey and thank you so much for joining me. We have a terrific show for you today. Tom Ricciardi, Vice President of Business Operations for Capture 6 joins us and Capture 6 has a really cool project in California that Tom's going to discuss and he's going to explain how Capture 6 synergistically removes carbon from the atmosphere and produces fresh water all as part of the same process. It's really a fascinating interview and Tom does a great job describing Capture 6's process. Plus, we've got Reese Tisdale joining us for another Bluefield on Tap segment, so stay tuned for some great information coming your way. Well, as you know, we always say thank you to our awesome sponsors at the top of every show, and the 2023 version of the Water Values Podcast is sponsored by these great companies, by Interra, Xylem, the American Water Works Association, Black & Veatch, Trinix, Mentor APM, and Woodard and & Curran. And that, my friends, is a terrific collection of impactful companies that have decided to support water industry thought leadership and education, and I thank you all. And I'd like for you, the listener, to please do me a favor. If you work for or with any of the sponsors, please thank your boss or thank your contact at that sponsor firm and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. It'd be very much appreciated, and of course, you would be surprised to know how far that simple little note of thanks will go. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on? Be greatly appreciated and, of course, helps others find out about the podcast. And also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Yes, that subscription is all important. It's very important, and we'd appreciate your subscription. Before we head on to the interview with Tom, let's go to our Bluefield on Tap segment with Bluefield Research's Reese Tisdale. So take it away, guys. Well, Reese, welcome to another Bluefield on Tap. How are you doing this month? I'm all right, Dave. Pretty good. Uh, you know, it is what it is. It's the end of September. Just had a birthday last week. Oh, I'm ready for another year. Well, belated happy birthday, Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. That's more than my family offers. <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're kind of mournful around here because uh, the, the Mariners, who last month were the hottest team in baseball, have uh, turned into the Mariners, and we are now uh, on the verge of missing the playoffs. So, Well, as Bill so, Parcell says, the, you, are, you are what your record says you that's are. That's right. That's why you lift all them weights. <laughs> uh, so what... Um, What's going on in the world of water this month? What what's caught your eye? 
Well, there's a, we got a number of things uh, happening, but one of the things that actually just hit my desk uh, last night, and that is, you know, every quarter we look at what we call the top companies in water. We do an analysis and review of the what we think are the largest uh, 50 publicly traded companies across the industry and sort of look at what they're talking about, what's impacting their financials. Are they up or down? And uh, yeah, so that's what I'm here to talk about today. All right. What, so, what what are the big takeaways? What what uh, if someone looks at this list? What are we? What are they going to notice? Well, I mean, I guess for the, for the beginners who I think, we, I think we've talked about this in the past before, but you know, these fifty companies that we look at. So, we're looking at everybody from Veolia, Xylem, Cormain, Ferguson, to even smaller companies in water like Consolidated Water, Energy Recovery Inc., uh, but Desal players primarily. You know, they generate about $300 billion in total revenue, This these 50 companies, 91 or so, about roughly 30% of their total re- of the revenues are water-related, meaning that it's water, wastewater, stormwater uh, focused. So that's sort of what we look at as a whole. The three takeaways are engineers, the segment <laughs> is doing really well, Um there's a lot of money on the street because of IRA, IIJA, um, lead, PFOS, et cetera. So there's a lot happening for this. And I think if you talk to a lot of the engineering firms, they say that their pipelines and backlogs of business are pretty strong right now. Um, I can't say that for all segments. Uh, hardware and infrastructure, second point being that they're getting beat up a little bit when we look at sort of overall revenues. Um, they're you know, taking their lumps, whether it be because of a slowdown in China and what's happening there, but also what's happening in Europe as well. Yeah. So h- how do those two go together, right? So if I'm thinking that, you know, the engineers are the big winners because they're going to be designing and uh, helping build all this stuff. Well, the building would seem to me to imply that hardware should be doing pretty good. So how, how do you square those? Well, I think, you know, it takes a little while for the for the rollout um, of the dollars to happen. I mean, I think, you know, when I look, when we look at the engineering firms, they've just been, they've been busy actually for several years now. Um, hardware will begin to roll through. I think also raw material inputs for the hardware players. Um, this is not to say they're all down, you know, um, but the raw material prices are up. Inflation is impacting their businesses. Labor is up. You know, the engineering firms, a lot of these costs, they're, they're passing off as well. Um, they're not always necessarily buying hardware. They're passing those costs off to their customers. Yeah. Interesting. So uh, what what else comes to mind when you look at this list of uh, uh, top 50 companies in water? What else shines through? I think, yeah, I think the, the one other area, which, I mean, it, it's, it's not going away, people um, speaking to the crowd, and that is PFAS. Um, a number of different companies um, or whether they're concerned about it, but they also see opportunities. So if we're talking about, and I would even maybe even expand that to more like uh, water quality related issues to include lead. So, but PFAS, um, we've got the new MCLs coming out um, from the EPA. It looks like that's actually going to happen. So um, that in and of itself, according to Bluefield's forecast, it doubles the size of the market over the next, now I'd say seven years to 2030. So we go upwards of 12 plus billion dollars over that period. The other thing to add to that is we've had a number of lawsuits, which I think we've talked about, and that is, you know, with the chemical companies, there have been some settlements 
um, 3M being the biggest, but we're looking at uh, in addition to the you know 10 to 15 billion dollars through being provided through the state revolving funds, we've got the lawsuits or settlements, should I say, with like 3M, and that's another 14 to 15 billion dollars. Um, that's going to be applied to utility remediation and uh, treatment for and capex investment into PFAS. The engineers win again, so because they're going to be the ones figuring out how to get the PFAS out of the water. Um, what about so the, the water quality angle is interesting, and, and I think that also might be a, a leading indicator for hardware recovery for hardware and recovery of of that. Is do you is that am I looking at that right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, on the so that is a good question. I mean, when it comes to water quality, I mean, at the end of the day, they're going to have to be dollars spent on water quality, and that's you know, it's going to be you know, just either to expand or uh, maybe that's the best way to put it: expand systems. So, adding like activated carbon treatment systems could be ion exchange, could be RO systems. That's going to continue to grow. Um, is an opportunity. And you're exactly right, the engineers. I mean, I hate to say that, you know, who's the winner of all of these problems, but that's really the way it plays out. Someone's going to have to fix all of this. And ultimately, you know, what we're talking about, someone's going to have to pay for it all. That's a whole nother matter. You know, when you start talking about IIJA, that's just the first step if we're actually going to solve all of this. That's, it doesn't answer all the financial uh, questions that need to be addressed to solve all the utilities problems. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the lead service line inventories or the, the service line inventories are here due under the uh, lead and copper rule here in about a year. So we'll see more hardware rollout, I'm sure, after that. Yeah, I think a lot of the spin there is going towards inventorying right now, trying to figure out where exactly are the problems. And I think even several years ago, we had forecasted that market when we sized that it was roughly, uh, I think, $32 billion to sort of fix the problem, so to speak. But in a lot of that is actually going to be actually from me to you, from, you know, upper north, you know, northeast across the upper Midwest towards towards places like Indiana, Illinois. Um, that's where a lot of the lead pipe inventory seems to be. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, well, Reese, always great information speaking with you. Thanks so much for stopping by this month, and we'll talk to you again in 30 days. All right, Dave. Take it easy and uh, talk soon. Yep. Bye. Cheers. As always, great information from Bluefield Research and Reese Tisdale. Now it's time for the main event, the interview with Tom Rashardi. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Tom, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. Great to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, David. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Uh, for those who may not know who you are and where you are in the water sector, can you please uh, give us a little background on uh, yourself and how you came to the water sector? Sure. So I came to the water sector in a non-traditional path, let's say. Uh, so my title right now is Vice President of Business Operations at Capture 6, which means I get involved in many different aspects of our business. Essentially, I help lead the process of deploying our carbon capture and water recovery technology into commercial projects around the world. But I spent about 15 years prior to this role working in a variety of different roles and sectors, mostly focused on emerging markets. I worked in public health, 
finance and investing, corporate strategy and corporate development. And so along the way, I developed a useful toolkit for building projects, infrastructure, and companies in exciting, fast-growing countries and sectors. But I would say over the last 15, well, five to 10 years, let's say, the effects of climate change have just become so overwhelming and present, and the consequences of climate change are now unavoidable in all of our lives. And someone close to me pointed out that going forward, all jobs and careers will become climate focused. And that perspective really helped frame the path in front of me. So I decided to take more of an active step into trying to address the causes and effects of climate change. And the strategies and toolkit that I developed in emerging markets are very relevant to this fast growing carbon removal and climate adaptation economy. And Capture 6, really getting into the water now and answering your question a little bit more directly, Capture 6 has a technology that enables simultaneous carbon capture or carbon removal and freshwater production. Yeah, so th this this was a very intriguing idea when uh, when I heard about it. So uh, can you expand on how exactly... Um, you go about not only capturing carbon and removing it from the atmosphere, but also producing fresh water in the process. What, how, how's that, how's that work? Sure. So at its core, our process requires salt water and renewable electricity to create a capture solvent that bonds spontaneously with atmospheric CO2 and results in a carbonate. And we take the carbonate and we store it to permanently sequester the CO2 from the atmosphere. And we issue carbon removal credits that generate revenues for that facility in the process. But in, in doing so, the, our technology takes salt water and converts all of the salts into carbonates. And we're left with varying forms of fresh water from different stages of our process that can be utilized for agricultural, industrial, and human purposes. In addition, we create some green industrial byproducts, including hydrogen gas or pure CO2. But what we've discovered is that there's a lot of value and a lot of joint adaptation and mitigation that can be solved by merging our technology, our carbon capture technology, with water treatment facilities. Yeah, so uh, just out of curiosity, the, the byproduct, the carbonate, uh, are there are there uses for that or because you mentioned store it, but is it possible to like integrate that into a product uh, while still keeping it in its uh, uh, captured form, so to speak? Yeah, there are some use cases for carbonates where you can utilize it and effectively continue to or keep it sequestered from the atmosphere. But ultimately, in order for the time being, in order to to sort of give the climate the climate's um, benefit most most directly, we're intending in the short run to permanently sequester it without utilization. Okay. Sorry for the aside. I just was that just kind of jumped out at me as something that uh, would be interesting to know. Um, so, can you how how did this how did this technology even come about i mean what's what's the genesis behind someone who sat around saying you know what i think i can i can uh produce fresh water while sequestering carbon 
What's the backstory yes. on, on Capture Six? It's been a a sort of a process that we've we've taken to develop this sort of let's say technology market fits. But ultimately, Capture Six was founded by Ethan Cohen Cole and Luke Shores with the mission to capture and remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere as fast and affordably and as at as large a scale as is possible today. And so they set about working with partners and advisors to develop this technology and this process using well-known and understood um, chemicals and water treatment processes that yield this, this capture solvent. And it just so happens that in doing so, we've created some really effective and powerful synergies with the water treatment uh, sector. And so when we realized the potential to merge climate mitigation with climate adaptation, we decided to really lean in with this technology into the water sector and look to develop partnerships with water utilities and water treatment facilities to scale up the technology and generate additional fresh water out of the same resource, out of the same inlet feedstock, and also capture carbon dioxide and remove it from the atmosphere. Yeah. So uh, in terms of the water treatment space, um, are you, do you, in terms of the water treatment space, I'm curious about, um, you know, is this, can this run in parallel with, with a wastewater treatment plant per se, or is this more like some sort of industrial discharge that you, you get um, to clean up the water? I mean, or am I, or am I misunderstanding exactly when you say water treatment? Am I, am I too late in the process on that uh, aspect? No. So we can utilize various forms of water treatment effluents, including desalination or wastewater streams or industrial streams. And then we process them. Now our technology needs salt water. So we can take salt water from any number of different sources and create environmental and commercial value, both for our facility and the original facility that's ideally sort of co-located or adjacent to our facility. But effectively what we're doing is we're taking salts out of water and convert, converting them to carbonates and delivering fresh water back to the original system. Got it. Got it. So uh, I, I guess a lot of people are probably thinking, well, the, this is primarily a coastal thing, but what about inland applications? That's a great point. Our first facility under development is actually in an inland location. And the reason that it, an inland location can be so commercially and environmentally interesting is that when you're treating brackish water sources, let's say it's it's not going to be highly saline aquifer, uh, highly saline seawater or anything, but brackish water does have salt in it. And so when you're treating salt water in inland environments, you have a brine disposal problem. Now, what our technology enables is a displacement of other more costly brine disposal mechanisms. And they those cost money and they also don't directly eliminate the environmental buildup of salt. So there's a lot of just concerns around, you know, brine disposal in those kinds of environments. And what we do is we take their, their saltwater effluents and we create it, we create the carbonates. And then that eliminates the need for 
our partners to develop and build, let's say, evaporation ponds and then have trucking costs to take away the salt. Um, it does also deliver value environmental benefit on in coastal environments as well. There are some concerns and regulators are taking a little bit more strict scrutiny on brine discharge systems as well. And we can help reduce or ultimately eliminate some of the brine volume that is being discharged back into the ocean as well. Yeah. It, it, so as I'm hearing more about this, uh, zero liquid discharge is going through my mind. Is is this, is, is your technology a form of ZLD or is it, do you consider it something separate and apart from ZLD? I think the motivation, it, it can respond to that motivation to reduce or altogether eliminate zero, you know, di liquid discharge. Now, what our technology is just uh, in terms of the actual physical implementation is a variety of electrochemical and water treatment components that are put together to deliver this system. So we're using the same types of components that would be utilized in a zero liquid discharge system. We're just using them for the purposes of capturing carbon and, and increasing the water recovery. Got it. Got it. So I, I'm I'm interested to hear more about this uh, this this project with I think you said the Palmdale Water District. This uh, so kind of can you tell me how that came about? What? Yeah. So we we got in touch with with Palmdale Water District, and they're developing a new water treatment, advanced water treatment facility in Palmdale, California. Palmdale is is a growing urban environment in LA County that is preparing for water scarcity issues amidst po continued population growth. Um, and so it's looking to utilize and essentially boost its, its freshwater resources by treating, by treating wastewater. And so our technology, when we, we, we got in touch with them, they, we immediately saw the, the mutual overlap in terms of reducing brine and eliminating sort of a brine disposal problem and also boosting the freshwater recovery out of the system. So we took the, the, the first step and we're developing the demonstration facility. It's a partnership with Palmdale Water District Capture 6 and with Stantec to deliver this first of its kind advanced water treatment and carbon removal facility. And we've been awarded an $8 million grant as well from the state of California um, to develop this facility. So over time, we hope to scale this up to directly address water and climate in Palmdale. Um, but California is a great test case for our technology. Uh, the state has obviously been experiencing quite a bit of water security issues over the past few decades. And in drought years, the state sources up to 60% of its water from groundwater. Um, and so that scarce resource has been consumed to uh, an alarming degree. And so the state government has set pretty ambitious climate and water sustainability goals. And our process, we're, we're looking to deploy it to deliver against both of those sets of goals. And so we're, we're looking for to build in the state. Yeah, it's fascinating. So in terms of the effectiveness of pulling carbon, like how much carbon is, is the, yeah, are you able to pull out per, I don't know, gallon or per, I don't, I don't know what the right measurement unit is per, per unit of fresh water that is produced. 
It's it's a scale, and it really depends on the amount of salt in that that feedstock. So we can go sort of to lower, you know, salt content water water streams like brackish water, desal brines, or we can go all the way up to you know saline aquifers, for instance. And there's a direct link between the salt content and the the carbon the carbon capture potential per cubic meter of 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 brine. Um, now, where we're sort of developing in higher saline content, there's just less water to recover from that brine, and so we produce more carbon dioxide removal or capture more carbon dioxide per unit of water than with like a brackish water source where we're producing a lot of water. To, to capture the same amount of CO2. I am curious also, uh, most folks know about the tax credits available through the Inflation Reduction Act, and I'm curious about um, whether or not this type of, you know, your, your technology uh, would qualify as the kind of the direct air capture technology and take, be able to take advantage of tax credits to essentially produce lower, lower priced water. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely part of our long-term plan. Um, the Inflation Reduction Act is a massive tailwind in the sales of climate mitigation and adaptation efforts, and our technology does qualify for those tax credits. So over the coming years, we're hoping to develop facilities that scale to reach that that threshold. I think it's a thousand tons per annum. And then, you know, the, the federal government effectively provides tax credits, which can reduce, you know, the, the levelized cost of production. And our technology has this dual benefit of water and carbon removal. And, you know, there are synergies for us on both the upstream and the downstream side. And so bringing them together lowers the cost of production for both the carbon capture and the water production and we hope to do deliver that benefit on behalf of the ultimate purchasers of these outputs. Fascinating stuff. Uh, so uh, let me let me wheel back around to a question that I should have asked earlier, and that is: uh, so the, the the carbonate byproduct, when you say you store it, like I'm, I'm curious: is are you storing it? How how are you storing it? Are there costs associated with storing it? Uh, just out of, I'm, I'm kind of curious about how that how that plays into the overall economics of the of a potential project. Yes, that's right. It's it's both a engineering challenge and an economic challenge. Um, we do store the carbonates, and the carbonates are sort of the embodiment of the captured CO two. Um, that has been that has been drawn down by 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 using our capture solvent. Now we take the carbonates and we store them in a secure location um, that where they will not re-release the carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Now carbonates have a slight advantage over pure supercritical CO two injection in that there's a chemical bond in addition to a physical sort of sequestration and the actual um, site of, of sequestration. So we put them into lined locations where there is a high confidence that the CO2 will never be re-released back to the atmosphere. And then the storage cost is embedded in the actual carbon removal credit. Terrific. Uh, Tom, well, I appreciate 
that that explanation and sorry for for sort having to circle back on that on that question um i am a little a little curious about uh the synergies between um uh you know removing the carbon uh producing the salt or producing the carbonate and uh producing the fresh water so can you kind of talk about how all these kind of fit together um you know I'm sorry, that's kind of an obtuse question, but. No, yeah. So practically how we develop a facility is to partner with, in many cases, pre-existing water treatment plants, whether it's desalination or a wastewater plant or a mining or industrial process that generates salt water. We'll set up a facility right next door and create an upstream and a downstream synergy, which creates a circular effect with our outputs and the original facilities outputs and inputs. So the original facility, let's say it takes in 100 units of water and produces 50 of fresh water. They'll pass the 50 of concentrated brine that has all of the minerals, all of the ions, everything that was in the, the original source water over to our facility. And we'll continue to process it until we get to our carbon capture solvent and then we'll create our carbonate and we'll store it and issue a carbon removal credit. But we'll pass back the fresh water directly to the original facility. So we can create a synergy and a circular effect that boosts the water recovery of the original facility. And we take care of the rest. And the true innovation here is that we're essentially merging water treatment with, with carbon removal markets to lower the cost for both. So we issue the carbon removal credits and then the freshwater recovery goes back to our partner and they can increase their, their yield on the original facility without significant capex. Again, this it's absolutely kind of a, a little bit mind blowing to, to try and wrap your head around all that. Uh, you know, as you were, as you were talking about carbon markets and things like that, you know, we've, we have touched on carbon removal uh, in prior episodes and I'm just, can you talk a little just about, about the the carbon removal process, the carbon markets, um, just just to give, give us a little uh, flavor uh, for because because and let me for the listeners let me put in why I'm asking this question is because it's been said multiple times that that we all experience climate change through the lens of water and so carbon is inextricably linked to water from a climate change perspective. And that's kind of why I'm interested in the carbon market, carbon removal process. So with that background, uh, Tom, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, that, that that's helpful framing. And I think traditionally carbon, or for many ca- use cases, carbon is carbon removal and carbon capture requires water. But there are a variety of processes that generate water while removing carbon dioxide. But The most useful framework that I have for the overall carbon removal market is the analogy of a bathtub, where the level of water in a bathtub represents the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which is directly linked to climate change. And various activities can increase the CO2 in the atmosphere, and this is represented by opening the faucet and letting water spill into the tub. And other activities, whether natural or human-linked, remove CO2 from the atmosphere. And that's essentially by opening or represented by opening or closing the drain. 
Um, and so with the advent of the industrial revolution, human activities have significantly increased carbon emissions. And so the faucet is just flowing much, much faster. And the level of, of the water in the tub or the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is going up. And so this has led to climate change and global warming. And so the world needs to do two things and we need to do them as fast as possible. We need to stop emissions. So we need to turn off the faucet. And this is the focus of decarbonization and the energy transition. And the second thing we need to do is to lower the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, addressing historic emissions or the level of the water in the bathtub. And this is what is commonly known as carbon removal. And so the water nexus with climate change is useful in that not just as it's a sort of very apt analogy, but water is related to all of these activities. And so we're trying to utilize what is essentially a wasted resource, which is excess brine, to deliver multiple forms of value, um, A, by increasing the amount of fresh water, not carbon dioxide, but fresh water uh, in, for, for human consumption and other purposes, and B, to help draw down the level of water in the tub. Um, and so there are companies and governments, and in some cases, individuals who are motivated, whether through their own commitments or through sort of compliance markets to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And this is a service that we deliver to those kinds of entities. And in doing so, that helps generate or sort of offset the costs of this enhanced water recovery system that our technology is enabling. Absolutely fascinating. I love the bathtub analogy. And uh, if it's okay with you, I'm going to steal it. Um. <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, Tom, it's been absolutely great speaking with you. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down with me. Uh, do you have a leave behind message that you'd like to leave the listeners with? Yeah, I think so. I think the message that I would give listeners is that the solutions to this challenge exist. All it requires is a little bit of creativity and thinking differently about different resources that we have, whether it's energy or water. But if we creatively use technology that is, exists today, we can immediately start to affect the climate. And so I want people to come away with that sense of empowerment and positivity about the, about the, t the technology and the space. Love it. Love empowering people. Uh, uh, thanks so much, Tom. Again, you've been, you've been phenomenal. Really appreciate the time. Uh, for those who want to find out more about you, more about the technology Capture 6 has, or about Capture 6 itself, where can they go to get that information? I think just starting on our website, capture6.org, and don't hesitate to reach out through, through the website. Awesome. Well, Tom, again, thanks so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. All right. Bye, Tom. Bye. Tom was absolutely fantastic. Don't you agree? When I first heard about the carbon removal technology that produced fresh water in the same process, I, I thought I had to speak with someone on it. And I'm very grateful to Tom for making the time to sit down with me. The interview, in my mind, didn't disappoint. I thought Tom was terrific. Uh, and I learned a tremendous amount, and I'm very excited to see where that technology is headed in the future. While I'd love to know what you thought about the interview, please check out the show notes page for information and links on this episode. Just Google the Water Values Podcast and click the first link that comes up. That's our landing page on the Bluefield Research website. As you know, as longtime listeners know, I should say, 
Bluefield Research and the Water Values are not affiliates. We just have a joint marketing arrangement, and as part of that, we get a home on the web through Bluefield Research's website. So thanks, everyone at Bluefield. Well, you can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com, and you can sign up for the newsletter on that landing page as well. Thank you again for tuning in, and I hope you make it a great day. Plus, I want to give a huge thank you again to our podcast sponsors. Again, sponsors of the Water Values Podcast include Intera, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Black & Veatch, Trinex, Mentor APM, and Woodard & Curran. This show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders. And again, thank you for listening and for subscribing to the Water Values Podcast. Your support is truly appreciated. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the water values podcast thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me well thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer i'm a lawyer licensed in indiana and colorado and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else additionally nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment i'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues and that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.